So I, I haven't yet remarked on that little intro video that we played a few times to start with, um, but I want to this morning. Um, so we, there's tons of things that we do every day that we place our faith in, and um, flipping on a light switch seems silly, like there's nothing significant that's happening, but it, there is something that's significant that's happening. We're trusting that when we do, when we flip that light switch up, that something is going to happen. Um, so there's an element of faith that's, that's there. Um, and I believe the book of James is all about faith, like teaching us what it means to really have faith and, and what our, our result and our response is about faith. Um, so if you have your bulletin, I think everybody has one. Ben probably handed you one when you came in. Um, I want to read this over us as we get started this morning. Um, this is really the foundation of our faith. And if there is... Um, your faith is only as valuable as the thing you place your faith in. All right? So I want to read this over us if I could. Um, first, just three statements and then some, some thoughts behind it. First, God is who he says he is. He is the only thing that can completely satisfy you. Why don't you just let these things sit with you? He's the only thing that can completely satisfy you. He is your father. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is full of love. He wants to bring you love, joy, peace, patience. He is sovereign. He will give you only good things. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He is your help in times of trouble. He is good. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. He will love you with a steadfast love. He will never leave or forsake you. He will protect you. He has good plans to give you a future and hope. He will supply all of your needs. <clears throat> he, will make, he will take your burden from you. He has an inheritance that is waiting for you that cannot perish spoil or fade. His grace that he has given is enough to cover all of your sin. He will do good to you. <clears throat> I am who God says I am. I am adopted as a son of God. I am loved always. I am his possession. I am his workmanship. I am holy and blameless. I am more than a conqueror. I am an heir with Christ. I am continually being prayed for by Jesus. I am fully redeemed. All my sin is paid for. I am welcome into the presence of God at all times. I am a friend of God. I am the recipient of his goodness. 
I am who God says I am. Two things I want to say about what I just read to you. One is, it's not something that I made up. All of this comes from promises that God has made to you in the scriptures. And that's, that's pretty incredible. And, and it's these three ideas that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. And you are who he says you are. It's those three ideas and those three concepts that really form the substance upon which we build our faith. And if these things are really true, and if we believe that these things are really true, it changes the way that we behave and interact in this world. Just like a light switch. Like this stuff is deep and really important and significant and substantial and all of those things. It's, it's, it's all of those things. And flipping on a light switch is not consequential. But it's the same idea. If we really believe that a light is going to come on when we flip a light switch, then we're going to flip the light switch. But if we really believe in the same way that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do, and I am who he says I am, it has to change the way that we behave and the way that we interact with each other, the way that we interact with this world, the way that we interact with the scriptures. God is good, and he does good, and we are his children. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the, the scriptures, if we could. God, thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the word that you've given to us, the word that you've implanted into us, Father. God, I pray that it would, uh, this morning, as, as we study your word, Father, that you would um, be with us and that your word would be, as you've promised it to be, supernatural and implant itself into us and change us. God, do that for us and help us to, to have minds to focus in on, on what you have to say to us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, so I just want to, this morning... I just want to kind of walk through these verses and, and comment on a few specific words. So um, you right, right remember last week I talked about pearls, that um, uh, one of the, the pastors that I'm following and, and, and reading his stuff about James says that um, the book of James is like pearls dropped in the mind of the hearer. So I want to bring three pearls from three chunks of the scripture. The first one is, uh, pearl number one, is, is where to have a teachable spirit. And that's verses 19 through 21. So we read verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. I want to stop there. Beloved brothers. He, he's used this word a couple of times already. And, and I've said, I think in maybe all four of the messages so far, but at least three of them talked about the, the death of James and how he died. Um, but I think it's important to reiterate it here in this idea of, of beloved brothers. And so the, James's death, he's addressing a crowd of Jewish believers, and he's addressing, and also in the crowd are, are Pharisees who, uh, who aren't buying into what James is teaching about who Jesus was. And so he's got friends in the crowd, and he's got enemies in the crowd. And as he's addressing them, because there's such a big crowd, he's literally standing on the roof of the temple, talking to 
hundreds of people. And what he's saying is really bothering his enemies and the Pharisees. And so they climb up to the roof and, and several of them literally push him off of the roof and he falls to the, to the ground where there's other Pharisees and religious enemies that are there on the ground. And they begin to throw stones at him, to stone him. And that's most of the time, if you were sentenced to death in this age, you were sentenced to death by stoning. And so there's this group of his enemies throwing stones at him, but he's not dying after many, several minutes of, of people throwing stones at him. And so ultimately, uh, a guy who uh, is a fuller, and a fuller is someone who cleans carpets and cleans rugs, and he's got a big stick to clean and dry. Like when I say big stick, I mean it's like arms, like your wingspan length and probably about a foot and a half thick. And this is what he beats the, the rugs with to dry them and clean them. And he literally beats James to death with his church and his other enemies around him. And what's James doing? Historians, extra biblical, when it, extra biblical is just a, a, a phrase for stuff that we learn that's outside of the Bible. So this is historians speaking to, uh, to what happened. And what they're saying is that during this entire time, from the time he was pushed off the, off the roof to the time he was stoned to the time he was beaten to death by the fuller, uh, is he was praying for the people that were killing him, asking them, asking God to forgive him. And that's incredibly significant, especially in light of, of all of the, like, James is filled with commands, and this morning is filled with commands, and we don't like to be told what to do. And James is telling us what to do. Say that again. We, you, and especially our culture doesn't like to be told what to do. In fact, it's probably one of the, the, the biggest problems that the culture has with the church is that you're telling me what to do. But I want you to see James here. In a, in a book, his work is all about telling people what to do, but his life is about forgiveness and mercy and grace. The people that are killing him, James is asking for grace for them and mercy for them and forgiveness for them. So as you read the book of James, and as you maybe are turned off by the book of James, understand that James thinks of you as a beloved brother. He is deeply pastoral. Um, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. And this word hear, hear, This word H-E-A-R, H-E-R-E. Let every person be quick to hear, hear. This word here. Are you confused yet? Good. Um, <laughs> just me? I was the only one that was confused? All right. Um, this word, anyway, it means to perceive, to understand, to consider. So when we hear the word here, we think of words that we hear. But this, there's a depth to this word where you're going to stop and listen. So I'm really bad at listening. Uh, if my wife was here today, she could, she'd be nodding her head right now. Like when she has something important for, for me to, to hear in this way, like I've got to stop, consciously 
stop, look her in the eye, and, and listen, and, and take in what she's saying, because I'm bad at it. And I think when it comes to the things of God, more than that, when it comes to the things of God that we tend to rebel from, we're that same way. We might hear noise or sounds, but we're not considering, we're not perceiving, we're not seeking to understand. And that's what this word means. My beloved brothers, the people that I love so much that I'm willing to die for you, I want you to, to be quick to hear, to consider, to think. And the inverse of that is to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Um, so what, I think one of, one of my jobs throughout the book of James is to, is to comfort you, but also confront you. Beloved brothers, and the pastoral nature of James is comforting you. But what's happening here is you're being confronted because ultimately what, what happens with us, we have this tendency to be quick to speak. Like God says something to us or we feel like we hear something from God or someone around us, the people that we engage our lives with make us angry and we want to respond quickly there. And we're quick to speak and we're quick to be angry, but we don't really hear anything other than sound. James is saying, don't do that. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, I hope that you feel confronted, but I hope that you also feel comforted. Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness. I want to give you a picture of what this word put away means. This is literally what the word means. This is what, what James has just commanded you to do is to take off something that you have on and throw it to the ground. It is of no value to you. I want you to, like, this is what James, after he's just called you a beloved brother, like his passionate plea to you who have professed faith that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do and you are who he says you are. And after you've confessed that faith in him, he's saying, put these things away. They're of no value to you. Like, what do you do? Like, think about something that's in your life that you've thrown away because it has no value to you anymore. This is, therefore, take off the garment of filthiness and rampant wickedness. Throw it away. It's of no value to you. But what do you do? Put away something, filthiness and rampant wickedness, and instead, in its place, receive with meekness. And meekness is a contentment with what's happening in my life and in my world. And it's this teachable disposition. When you're meek, it, 
Generally speaking, when, when, I think when the culture, when, when we hear meek outside of biblical context, we think of someone who's like demure or weak or like able to be pushed around. That's what we hear, meekness. And our, like, our minds would say that's not an attribute, that's a fault to be meek. That's not this word. This word means a teachable spirit and disposition. Like I'm going to receive, like you have something of value to give to me. This is what meekness means. So throw away that which is of no value to you and instead receive something that is of value to you with this humble, teachable spirit. What is it? It's the implanted word. That word, implanted, is buried in order to produce a result. So we're to throw away that's of no value and receive with this humble, meek spirit this thing that's able to plant itself deep in us and produce a good result. It's the fall season. You, some of you will probably plant bulbs in your flower beds or somewhere outside of your house in the next month. And it's that idea, like, because that that fall dirty bulb is going to produce something of value that's going to bring joy to you in April or May. And this is the idea behind this word implanted. But it's not just implanted, it's the implanted word. And this is what's What's incredible to me is like the Word of God, the Bible, the stuff that we're studying, the things that I'm saying to you, they're, they're, they're supernatural. They produce something in you that this world can't produce. And remember, God is who He says He is and does what He says He will do. And here, this meekly receiving the implanted supernatural word of God is able to save your soul. On to verse 22, which is the second pearl, and we're kind of getting at it already, is to, to value Scripture. Um, verse 22, thinking about this idea, pearl number two, to value the Scriptures. But be doers of the world and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When you see the word deceiving or deception or deceived in Scripture, in this context, understand that you are prone to deception. You have one enemy and his name is Satan. His only weapon is to get you to believe something that's not true. You are prone to being deceived. And one way that you receive that deception or interact with that deception is to listen to the word, but not do what it says. And that this is where like our angst, our, because of who we are as people and because of the church that we go to, a, a, a natural reaction or a, a quick reaction might be to be hearers and not doers. And what James is saying here is that's deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word 
and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently. And this word intently is to stop and to closely examine. For anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the same word, ESV translated a little bit differently in, in verse 23, it's looks intently. Here in verse 25, it's looks into, but it's the same Greek word to intensely study something. But the one who intensely studies the perfect law, that's another way to say the Bible, the scriptures, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer, but forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in all his doing. So it's the same word. So you are capable of looking closely and intently into the word of God and then walking away as if you didn't hear or see anything that's of any significance or value to you. Or you can, you can deceive yourself in that way, or you can look into it and study it and think through it and consider it and move forward having been changed. And the, the, the difference in those two people are, is, is faith. This person trusts in himself. This person trusts in God. Um, one of the reasons, so Ben and I were, were considering, thinking about, like, I, I stumbled upon these books. Some of you guys have them. Some of you guys are writing notes in them as we speak. Uh, I run across these and, and like, hey, Ben, we're about to start James. What do you think about getting a bunch of these and giving them to our people? So, and like, we don't have a great big budget, so we've got to think about every time before we spend a little bit of money, like, are we going to, is this a wise use of our resources or not? Um, and Ben was like, yes, let's, let's do it. This would be so great because people would, would engage, use this to engage in a sermon more, use this to engage in community groups more, and use this to engage in just like personal study more and to go back and look through their own notes. And throughout the week, we would engage with the word more. And so like that's, this is what James is getting at here is the motivation behind this book that we might be able to implant the word and look intently with focus, with vision, with, with drive to feel like there's something that God is trying to speak to us through his word. Um, so for those of you who are re- using the books, continue to use them. And maybe even we're four weeks in now, maybe use them to, to memorize or meditate or do something even more with this book than you've done the first three weeks. Then I want to go to the end of verse 25. Let me read the whole thing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you are not a hearer who forgets, but instead a doer who acts, you will be blessed in all you're doing. This word blessed means happy. But there's a little bit more depth to it than that. It's happy that, that's deeper. That's, there's a depth to it. Like it's, it's something that, that can't be wiped away by circumstances. And, and I think what I want to say here about this verse is you 
will never, you'll never regret doing what God has asked you to do. Part of like the teacher in me wants to spend 20 minutes talking about that, but I think it's probably better to just let it stay there. You'll never regret doing what God has called you to do. Pearl number three, starting in verse 26. Simple acts. Pearl number three is simple acts. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So last night we were at uh, the Shearing Shed Trivia Night, and at my table were two friends of mine. One is a, a closer friend, the other one is kind of a friend of a friend who I've hung out with several times. Um, one is a lifelong atheist, and the other is a guy who grew up in church and is now an atheist. Um, and I didn't, like, they were sitting kind of across the table from me, so I was only listening. I didn't participate in this conversation. And they were talking about church and the waste that it is. They're both atheists, so it's, it's clearly useless information or useless engagement, useless life. And their critique is... It's just a social club. These people are only here because they want somebody to take care of their children, or there's people who are only here because they want some place to feel good about themselves, or they want to find a place where they can um, find someone to double date with, they and their wife. Like, that's what church is. And they're probably at least a little bit right. If anyone who thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Do you know, do you realize that a lot of the angst and a lot of the hatred for the, the modern evangelical is the fault of the modern evangelical because we just don't listen to this verse. We just don't listen to James we just don't believe him. We just, even more, we just don't have any faith that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do, and we are who he says we are. For religion to not be worthless, verse 27, this is the heart of it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the widows and the orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself from being unstained by the world. Um, two, two thoughts about these two commands, and they're very simple commands. One is visit the widows and orphans in their affliction, and two, keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, the, s- the second one first, to keeping oneself unstained from the world, is simply to value what God values. What does God value? Relationship, people, 
love, truth. These are the things that God values. What, do, what does the world value? What is the world like? Next time you're driving to work, look at every, try to look at every billboard and ask yourself, what is the world trying to get me to value? Or next time you're watching, like today, if you're chilling watching TV, watch the commercials. Don't, don't fast forward by them. Don't skip past them. Watch a, a set of commercials and ask yourself, what's the world trying to get me to value? Religion that God accepts as pure is to reject what the world wants you to value and instead value what he values, relationship, people, love, truth. And my mind goes back to my friends, Chris and Tony, and their critique on the church is because our church buildings and our church structures and our church activities look a lot like what the world values. Um, and then the second one that I'll say, but it's the first one that James says, to visit the widows, orphans and widows in their affliction. Um, I've said this several times, and, and I think it's the truth, uh, is I, I think the... the uh, our goal in this idea is there are people around us that have need in areas where we have excess. So think about your life, who you are. Where do you have excess of resources? Is it a skill? Is it time? Is it financial? Is it energy? Where do you have, or, or maybe even passion, where do you have excess and people around you have need? Religion that God accepts as pure is that you would use those areas to serve people around you to give into that need. And, and here's, here's the thing. He's just talked about not being a hearer, but being a doer. And if you're just a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. And you don't really have faith. And here, this is the scary part for me. Is there's, we're, we're a smaller group here today. But there's a good likelihood that someone in this room thinks that they're a follower of Jesus and they're going to spend an eternity in hell. And I want you to sit with that for a second. And I'm like, like that's hard for me to say because I, I want to love you and I don't want to say hard things to you. But the honest truth is James is writing to, to religious Christians. And, and one of the things that he says over and over and over and over and over again is your faith ought to match up with the things that you do. 
And if your faith isn't matching up with the things that you do, then maybe your faith isn't what you think it is. And that, that ought to freak us all out. And it freaks me out because other places in Scripture says that I, as the pastor of this church, am going to have to stand before God and give an account about how I led you. And if I don't say these things to you, then I've got to stand before God and explain myself. And I don't, like, I get tripped up on the whole theology of that and, and don't let your mind chase there, but let your mind chase here. You have been commanded by the implanted word of God to be a doer and not just a hearer. And what that means is don't be polluted by this world and serve people who need you to serve them. This is what, like, how much different would the conversation of Chris and Tony be at my table if this is what all evangelicals did? And here's the, here's the secret. You're in control of you. So don't worry about them not doing what they're supposed to do. Worry about you not doing what you're supposed to do. And now, I want to close with this idea, is that this is our faith is weak, and it will always be weak. We will fail. We will be deceived. We will be hearers and not doers. We'll, all of that stuff, James at the end of his book says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I said at the beginning, an incredible act of mercy as James is being killed by people. He's, ask, he's asking God to have mercy on them. So the, the point that I'm trying to make here as we wrap this up is the faithfulness of God is greater than your faithfulness. The mercy of God is greater than your ability to carry out his commands. And those are incredible thoughts. So I don't, like, I've just placed a great burden on you. But God, through his son Jesus, has taken that burden from you and says, I love you in spite of your failures. So I want you to see the gospel in this message that it's not all do this, do this, do this, do this, okay, let's go home. It's do this, do this, do this, do this. But if you don't, there's more mercy. There's mercy that's greater than your sin. And his faithfulness is great and constant. His love is steadfast and it never changes. This is the God that we get to serve that gives so much. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your commands to bring us happiness, Father, not to rob from us, to, but to give to us. God, help us all to, to see your word as something that can bring forth something beautiful in our lives and in our hearts. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name I pray. Amen.